Welcome to Talent Blazers. My next guest is a fabulous marketer who has recently transitioned into the employee brand uh, role with an emphasis on building trust and community for one of the leading HR tech companies worldwide. She has worked within marketing agencies and high-performing enterprise environments as a lead gen generation manager. She's a savvy marketer who believes in demand gen principles. She is a talented individual and a good friend, Brittany Anderson. Welcome to Talent Places. Thanks for having me, Dave, and for the lovely bio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm really looking forward to unpacking this. We're going to be talking about the various ways to get employees to buy in to create video content once you've established your EVP so you can amplify that. So, um, yeah, before we get into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about Video My Job for those who don't know who Video My Job are? Sure. Uh, so, we are a video solution for talent teams and we're very well known for helping uh, bring boring text-only job ads to life. But I guess over the years, we've really seen a shift in our user data to suggest that teams are actually creating videos for all stages of the employment journey. And I guess more notably of late, which is really relevant to today's conversation, is that teams are creating uh, employee stories that really helps them communicate uh, their culture authentically, uh, amplify their EVP and essentially just drive their employee branding strategy forward. Hmm. So for those who don't who haven't connected the dots, uh, Britt and I work together. <laughs> I feel like that was a little bit of a trick question. <laughs> um, now we're going to leverage, we're going to talk about a few initiatives that you've rolled out at Video My Job that have been awesome and successful so we, we're sort of going to uh, leverage off those so that you created and, and rolled out a successful video advocacy program you know what was the inspiration behind that mm -hmm. um so for context for the last i think three years almost i have been managing our social media presence so i think uh the challenge at the time that i was facing was that the organic uh, reach and audience, audience engagement that we were achieving on LinkedIn was really minimal. <laughs> and as many people would know, you pretty much need to pay to play these days on social, but we just weren't in a position at that stage to really go all in and invest um, our budget into the platform yet. So I started thinking about employee advocacy because I did know that content shared by employees receives eight times more engagement than content shared by brand channels. So that was something that was really in the back of my mind. But I also knew that that stat alone was not going to be enough to really rally and excite our team if we were going to create a structured program around advocacy. So I then landed on another stat that was uh, or is that 86% of employees who are involved in a formal advocacy program say that it had a positive impact on their careers. So once I kind of landed on on the two stats, which really kind of inspired and underpinned the whole program, which which we we call EVAP, our employee video advocacy program, um, I felt like there was a really even framing for it to move forward and make it clear that this was going to be really good for the business, but also really good for our employees. So how did you go about introducing the project? Um, so before I think before we even moved into um, 
introduction, I, I just wanted to get clear on a few things. So the first was how how does EVAP really align to our company values? So like many others, we are, we live and breathe our values. We're governed by them. We use them in meetings all the time. So I really wanted to communicate the why underneath EVAP. So linking it back to our company values was really important. Uh, another thing too that I knew uh, was going to really set us up for the longevity that I wanted to have with EVAP was uh what did success look like? So, um, you know, I mentioned before that we had minimal reach and and engagement on the platform. So they were kind of the two metrics that I that I started with. So I wanted to increase the level of traffic we were getting from social to our owned channels, as well as up the content consumption on LinkedIn as a whole. So defined that to begin with. And then the third thing was stakeholder buy-in. So I needed to get our exec team and leadership like you on board to really support EVAP, uh, not only for the launch, but uh, for the longevity that I really wanted to have with EVAP. So once I kind of landed on those three things, I moved into, um, I guess it was kind of like a four phase launch really. So the first was around asset creation. So there was a suite of assets that I needed to create because this had never been, you know, created before in the business. So things like resource guides, uh, social media best practice, because we were obviously encouraging our employees to share the content they were creating on their own personal channels. And many like myself had not really been doing that before. So needed to make sure there was enough content in place to support them. Uh, and then also worked with our design team on establishing a really strong look and feel so that when any kind of EVAP communications came out, it was clear it was attached to the program um, and it was really identifiable uh, what we were doing. And then I think I also created a bunch of new video thumbnails so that they were fun to use and some icons in the asset library. So that was kind of the asset. Yeah. Yeah, they were yeah, the thumbnails were, yeah. So they were kind of attached to the, the kind of content themes and pillars that we landed on as well. Um, so there was a nice connection. And then, so after the assets were created, I moved into implementation, which was basically just the admin side of asset creation. So making sure everything was scheduled out, that all our comms um, were ready to go, that all of the resource guides and um, support pieces were up on our intranet. Um, and scheduled a launch event, which was the next phase. <laughs> so then we moved into launch, um, which I'm sure Dave, you can remember at the time was right when COVID kicked off. Yes. Like, fun. It was a really good <laughs> rally everyone and get them all on the same page. Yeah. So I did, I was already creating this before COVID kind of came about. And so I, I really wanted to launch it in the office together with a team event and get everyone on board, but quickly had to shift gears and, and do that a hundred percent remotely, but it was a really good challenge. And I think we pulled it off in the end. So uh, we actually sent a type form quiz out to our employees before the event um, to try and get their involvement. So I needed to obviously just check that where they were living was the same address that we had on file in case they'd moved around in COVID. Um, I wanted to ask what their favorite brand color was because I was planning on to, I was planning on creating a bit of a press pack that I wanted to be themed in a color that they chose and a couple other questions around, around dietary requirements. So when it came to the launch day, we had sent out breakfast hampers to everyone. So they received a few little merch items like a coffee cup and, and a sticky pad like this, <laughs> so they could film content from home as well as all, what was that? 
an orange juice squeezer, I remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had like a little o- and an OJ juicer and a fresh orange and then all of the ingredients you needed to create pancakes. Um, so we launched with pancakes, basically. So we all cooked that for breakfast together on Zoom. And then we launched into, a, I think it's about a 60-minute presentation where everyone ate and I talked. And then um, it was a nice way to kind of frame it up because everyone was feeling really comfortable and they could voice any concerns they had about sharing content on social and just ask questions in an open, you know, an open forum. So that was launched. And then the last phase, um, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but the last phase is management. So obviously creating a new new program that hadn't existed before within the business, I needed to make sure that we had steps in place to sustain the program that we had just come up with. So there was things like monthly brainstorms, um, what channels we were using to communicate with our team. So, you know, Slack reminders, calendar reminders, uh, how we were going to report on the success of the program too. It was really important to have better down the beginning. And yeah, just making sure that our team really felt supported kind of every step of the way. What were the what were a few things that you sort of reflect on that you sort of didn't expect that sort of that are, that arose? That I think I was a little bit rigid to begin with. I think I was anticipating that everyone would really want me to hold their hand and that they wanted really clear topics, really clear questions that they could respond to. But I quickly realized that you need to have a little bit of wriggle room in an advocacy program and you can't be so planned as, as I like to be. So I think what I learned was two very different types of people kind of fell off, fell out of the program. So the first was the type that really resonated with the structure that I had created. So they wanted questions every couple of weeks. They wanted to brainstorm with me and, and for us to kind of be involved together. And then the other type was, um, the kinds of people who just want to run with their personal brand. So as long as the kinds of themes and topics that we're talking about were loosely connected to business, they didn't really need me. They were very happy just creating content and sharing on social. And ultimately that was the goal is to up our content creation and make sure that we were out on social tapping into everyone's network. So I kind of just, as we went on, loosened up a bit and realized how to how to help everyone more individually and um yeah it kind of brought us to a place where we had really big success and still are seeing success so um with the people who you had to push on or lean on let's uh use that term a little bit more for a variety of reasons um you know timing you know their their calendars full they've got um other initiatives that sort of that they believe are a higher priority. Maybe they didn't even feel like creating video mm. at the time. Or as you mentioned, they may have been a little bit unorganised uh, mm. or not organised to really understand what the theme was for that particular week or fortnight. What were some of the things that you did to mm. get that video back from them? Yeah, so being very persistent, <laughs> um, almost uh, almost annoying, I would say. But I, in the early days, I had scheduled one on ones with with everyone, which I could do because we're a very we're a small team. Um, I understand other companies are a lot bigger, so um, if that's the case, you can still do a similar thing. But maybe that's more setting up partnerships or doing it in small groups rather than one on one. But one on ones really helped us. Um, I used Slack a lot to actually 
post the topic for the week or for the the fortnight and ask everyone to emoji the one they were going to respond to so that there was some public accountability. And I found that really helped because people felt a little bit more um, committed to the cause. So that was a good, a good strategy. And then also calendar reminders. It was really simple. It was really easy, but I'm just putting in like little slots of, oh, here's 15 minutes that you might want to script your video. You don't necessarily need to film it straight away, but this is a good time to script have a couple of days and then film when you feel fresh and you're ready to go. So just thinking about the actual phases of uh, creating a video and that it all didn't need to be to be done in one slot. It could be spread out over, you know, planning, scripting, filming, editing. So, yeah. And you got all the leaders uh, buy-in as well. So it was just part of our conversation, wasn't it? It was yeah. a project that was happening for a period of time. But, you know, in our weekly whip, we would be talking about it, um, I would be advocating for people to jump on as well, but you would also be sharing the results. Yeah. Um, you were you 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 did ask everyone to um, share in an Excel spreadsheet, mm-hmm. simple one, just fill out you know how many views, mm-hmm. what were the impressions, etc. And yeah. you were you were constantly sharing that content, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, and so we started with just a really basic. Uh, Google Sheet that had um, all of the metrics that we could track as a team. And I mainly needed the input from from others because I can't access, say, yours, Dave, your, your social media. So I wasn't exactly sure what we were achieving from your perspective, but I needed to get the data from each of us to set a holistic view of what we were um, kind of what the results were for EVAP as a whole. But I soon realized that I could actually do that with Google Forms too. So I was sending out a basic Google Form where people would input a couple of um, data points and that would feed into the sheet, which would then help me communicate back to the business. So reporting was really big in the early days, especially because we did launch with a really big emphasis on the key metrics that we wanted to track, like increase in social media traffic to our own pages, as well as the content consumption. So reporting is really, I would say, really important for something like this. Mm. And, and why do you think it's important for people um, to get their website in order? Um, why is it essential to drive traffic back to the website as opposed to just leveraging off the social platforms? Because, And I ask that deliberately because we as a business have evolved, not just relying on social people posting to mm. social sites, mm. but pushing back to their website. Yeah, well, um, I guess to put it simply, we don't own social. (laughs) We never will own social. So if LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever social channel you are using goes down tomorrow and all you've been doing is just posting in feed with nowhere to go, then you could lose your community in the beat, you know, in a a second, really. (laughs) So I would say that it is always important to develop some kind of a home base. So that home base needs to be either one channel that you own or a suite of channels that you own that are separate to social because the, well, obviously the benefit to that is that you can, you can get more close, you can get closer to your community by providing them with personalized content that's off social. Social is very much can be, especially if we're just talking organic, uh, you know, a one size fits all, it's quite generic versus driving them off social to your own channels. You can keep them within a hub, within an environment that gets more personalized and actually answers the questions that they might have. Um, so I would say it is important to have both. And obviously I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't just post on social and not 
without a, without a link somewhere because that's also important to nurture your community on that platform. But I do think that we need to prioritize developing a bit of a home base and really trying to drive our community there and giving them value. That would be my my biggest point. I agree, and and you know, not that I want to kick social in the guts at all because we love social platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Instagram, um, but those platforms are expensive to use, as you mentioned at the start of, of uh, the episode, and and also they're really distracting for candidates. There's so many logos that are there, and they can quickly click in and quick click out as quick as they're in. Um, so it is nice to pull them over to their website where then you can track what their engagement is because it's is likely companies have Google Analytics, right, or some mm-hmm. sort of analytics platform that enables them to engage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we relied heavily on, on Google Analytics to begin with, again, to communicate back to the business the success that the program was happy, having, if we're talking about EVAP specifically. And I think in the first four months we could see that 72 percent of our traffic from social was now coming directly from our employee posts compared to you know the 28 that was coming from brand um so that was a massive indicator that this program was working and the benefit again of driving social driving social traffic to your own pages and then from a content consumption um kind of side of things that i said was the other metric we were really keen to track as a collective, we, I think it was about 20,000 views we had again in the first few months. So we were really quite um, regimented in our reporting in the early days. And then I guess as time has also gone on, we've become a little bit more flexible in attribution as well, because, you know, not only for EVAP, but as a marketing team as well, we're less fixated on attribution because we understand that programs like this are really important um, because they feed up to our overall success. So creating programs of work like EVAP alongside many others that we have running are now just part of our engine that are driving kind of ultimate success. So I think having metrics in place, driving traffic obviously from social to your own pages to begin with and being really clear on the success that you're seeing is important in the early days, but then also not being so fixated about the metrics as you move on because it's going to be contributing to overall success anyway. Yep. And lastly, I think uh, what I felt just being part of the program is a sense of um, culture awareness, I think. Uh, you know, people really loved the program and they really got behind it. And uh, there was a sense of achievement for everyone who participated in the program, um, which I really loved. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, it was nice like to be able to do something together each month and to kind of set almost like a new habit really, that everyone was creating two videos a month, everyone was doing the same thing, everyone could see what we were creating together and then the reporting aspect of it to see that we were, you know, driving 72% of traffic now from social on these own content posts that we're creating was huge and and the consumption as a whole. So I think... Yeah, it was a really nice cultural activity as well as one that was was good for business. Cool. Now, you've templated everything, haven't you? Yeah, I have actually. We haven't spoken about this, but if anyone wanted a copy of the program that you that you put together, um, they can get access to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, um, there are strategy templates, there's implementation, there's launch templates, and I think I actually have supporting presentation decks for each 
uh, phase two. So if anyone is particularly interested in either the strategy piece or the asset creation piece or even the reporting part that we've been talking a lot about, um, then I could definitely just flick that to anyone who, who wants it. Nice one. Well, that's a great way to end the episode. Thank you for joining me, Britt, on Talent Blazers. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me, Dave.